The last verse of the Bible says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. So it's good to sing about grace, be reminded that we are living in the age of grace and grace has freely been bestowed on all of us. I appreciated Brother Larry's emphasis on blessed beyond measure this morning and and uh, maybe you, like me, have enjoyed these last few days of family fellowship over the holiday period, and it's been wonderful. Uh, all 22 of us have been in our home for the last three or four days, and uh, with a few in and outs, of course, uh, with responsibilities, and a number of uh, the family even stayed for tonight since the old man was preaching, you know. Uh, some of them are just checking up on me to see if, you know, I'm still preaching the word and all that. All kidding aside, it's, it's a privilege to have them here and a privilege to have you here. And it's a privilege to be in God's house on the last Sunday night of 2020. If Jesus should come tonight, we're going to talk about the Lord's return. Aren't you glad he'll find you here? at the Altoona Regular Baptist Church in the Sunday night service. You can be opening your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 24. And while you're going there, I'm going to be reading a few verses out of Genesis chapter 6. We won't be in any one passage tonight, but we will end up where we had our scripture reading in the last chapter of the Bible. But you remember that the Bible says before the flood in Genesis 6, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, that's not a very pretty picture. And the Lord was sorry that he had made men, had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Yes, God has emotions and God can be grieved. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Wow. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It goes on to say, the earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. So the Lord looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. And you're in Matthew 24. A couple thousand years later, and a couple thousand years before us tonight, and I'm getting there where you are. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, which I just read to you about, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know 
until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I read from Genesis 6 about the conditions before the flood that Matthew records Jesus' words about. And the conditions of society before the flood were there was a pervasiveness of vile deeds, there was a pervasiveness of vile thoughts, and there was a pervasiveness of violence. Those were the conditions before the flood. And Jesus said here that as it was before the flood in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days that the Son of Man returns. But what strikes me here in verse 39, they didn't know. The world around Noah and his family, the rest of the world didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. They were clueless. They were oblivious that judgment was coming, that the flood was coming, despite the fact they should have known. Noah was building this huge boat. It could not be ignored. They had to be asking, Noah, what in the world are you doing? He did it for a hundred years. Noah and his three boys, working, 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 pounding, 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 sawing, positioning, climbing up and placing boards and all of that for a hundred years. How is it that they did not know that judgment was coming? Besides all that, the Bible calls Noah in 2 Peter 2.5, a preacher of righteousness. Noah was not only pounding nails, he was pounding the truth that judgment was coming. But they didn't know. And 2 Peter 3.5 tells us the words in the Old King James of these things they were willingly ignorant. They could know they should know. They had been told. They could read it for themselves, but they were oblivious. They didn't want to know. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want to hear or heed or believe. And that's how it is today because these are the last days of the last days. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days when the Son of Man returns. Our task is to prepare for the salvation of our families, like Noah did, to preach righteousness, like Noah did, and to tell people around us, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, judgment is coming, Jesus is coming, get ready. So tonight... We speak to you on this last Sunday night of 2020 about the Lord's return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that we are not ignorant of these things. You have told us. You have told us repeatedly. You have told generations of men and women and women 
believers and non-believers how to be ready to meet God. That we need to prepare to meet our God. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would help us prepare and help us help us help others to prepare to meet the Lord. Lord, you know what you want to accomplish tonight. I pray that you would just descend among us by your spirit through the word of God that's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And you do your divine work in each of us, including and most of all in me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we go to Mark 14. Mark 14. I want you to look with me, dear friends, at four astounding truths that underline the importance of the doctrine of the return of Jesus Christ. He came once. Brother Larry preached on that this morning. In the fullness of time, Jesus was born of a woman made under the law. Praise God, we've been celebrating his first coming. But he is coming again. And his second coming, Jesus promised even before he went to the cross, in Mark 14, he's on trial. And down in verse 60, he's before the Sanhedrin, the council, and the high priest stood up in the midst, Mark 14, 60, and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming, coming with the clouds of heaven. Oh, that did it. Then, verse 63, the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Because he had the audacity to say, I'm the, the one, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. I'm here, I'm standing before you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But this isn't the end. You guys are going to crucify me? Go ahead. That's not the end. And one day you will see me. You will see me at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So just before the cross, before he goes to the cross, Jesus promises his second coming. And he prophesies of Israel at the close of the tribulation period. This should not have been strange to their ears. This was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. This was prophesied by Zechariah in Zechariah 12.10 and Zechariah 14.1-5. It's recorded in Matthew 24.30. It's repeated in Luke 17, 24 to 30. And so even before he goes to the cross, Jesus wanted to establish again 
the reality of his second coming. The cross will not silence me. I, I liked Dallas Holmes' song that he wrote many years ago. Go ahead, drive the nails in my hands. Laugh at me where you stand. Go ahead and say it isn't me. The day will come when you will see, because I'll rise again. Ain't no power on, well, that's not correct English, but it's in the song. Ain't no power on earth can keep me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Go ahead, mock my name. My love for you is still the same. Go ahead and bury me, but very soon I'll be free because I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth can keep me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. I like this last verse. Go ahead. Say I'm dead and gone, but you will see that you were wrong. Go ahead and try to hide the sun, but all will see that I'm the one because I'll come again. Ain't no power on earth can keep me back. Yes, I'll come again, and I'll come to take my people back. So the second coming of Christ is the last promise before the cross that Jesus made, and it was the last promise right after the cross that the angels made. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1, we'll try to move right along here to the second point tonight about the Lord's return. And note that it was the last promise after the cross. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus speaking. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the, other, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So after the cross, Jesus is buried. He Rises again, he spends 40 days with the apostles before he ascends to heaven. And while they watch him ascend, the angels give testimony to the fact of what Jesus had already predicted. He's coming again. This very same Jesus. Just as you saw him go in and go up to heaven, he's coming back again. It had to be difficult as Jesus was leaving the earth and leaving the disciples. But it was only temporary and he had prepared them for it, right? John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Let's not miss that. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. No wonder when Paul wrote the rapture passage, 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and he talked about the dead in Christ rising first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet them in the clouds with them and the Lord in the air. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the blessed hope of the believer. Jesus is coming again. I love that old hymn. He's coming again. He's coming again. The very same Jesus rejected of men. He's coming again. He's coming again with power and great glory. He is coming again. The last promise after the cross. But let's go now to the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Our third point. The return of Jesus Christ is the last promise in the Bible. It's the last promise in the Bible. Revelation 22 verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Now, folks, we're in the last book of the Bible. We're in the last chapter of the Bible. We're in the next to the last verse of the Bible. And we're to the last promise in the Bible. And that promise is of the return of Jesus Christ. Surely. I am coming quickly. This book of Revelation is all about Jesus. The very first verse of the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.1, says, This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show the servants Things which must shortly take place. And this book of Revelation was written to seven churches, remember? Chapters 2 and 3. The seven churches each get a letter from Jesus Christ. To the church in Ephesus... Chapter 2, verse 5, I will come to you quickly. To the church in Pergamos, chapter 2, verse 16, I will come to you quickly. To the church in Thyatira, 2.25, hold fast till I come. To the church in Sardis, chapter 3, verse 3, I will come to you as a thief. To the church in Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Five out of the seven churches get the message, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. Only two of the seven churches did not have the mention of his coming. The church in Smyrna, the church in Laodicea. The church in Smyrna was apparently facing death and martyrdom. They wouldn't live to serve the Lord very much longer because he writes in 2.10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. Unto death, I'll give you the crown of life. And then, of course, the church in Laodicea. That church was... Uh, the church that made Jesus sick, remember? 
because they weren't cold, they weren't hot, and frankly, I don't think most of them were even saved. Because Jesus is on the outside looking in, he's knocking on the door and says, if any man will open the door, hear my voice, open the door, I will come into him and he with me and we can commune, commune and dine together. But we come to the last chapter, chapter 22, and Christ mentions his coming three times in this last chapter. Did you catch that? Well, you didn't catch it in verse 7 because we didn't go back that far. But 22.7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And then verse 20, surely I'm coming quickly. Three times in the last chapter, he emphasizes I'm coming again. It reminds me of a story that, you know, are these stories true or not? But you hear them and you read them over the years. And some of you have heard me tell it namely probably my family, but there was this preacher preaching on Revelation 22:12, which we just read, or the Lord's coming quickly, and so forth. My reward is with me. Give every man according to his work. And this preacher was waxing eloquent on the return of Christ, and he stood back, and he was going to quote the verse, and, and Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then he forgot the rest of it. Have you ever been at a Christmas program or you've had a part to say or you're supposed to share a memorized verse and you get stuck? That happens, right? Well, he was thinking, well, I'll just start over. It'll come to me. So he, he got back here and said, and behold, I'm coming quickly. And then he forgot the rest of it. And I thought one, one more time, third time's a charm. So he gathered himself and said, and behold, I'm coming quickly. And he said it with such force that he, the pulpit turned over and he went flying over the pulpit and landed in the lap of a lady on the front row. He jumped off her lap and he pulled back and he was all disheveled and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm embarrassed. She said, Pastor, you don't have to feel that way. You told me three times you were coming. Well, we should get the message, shouldn't we? The last chapter, the last book of the Bible. Three times Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. It's the last promise in the Bible. And lastly, it's the last prayer in the Bible. Because the verse concludes, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. Surely I'm coming quickly. If you have a red letter Bible, those are the words of Jesus speaking. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Those are the words of the Apostle John as he is concluding and responding to the Lord's promises and wrapping up his human writing of the scriptures divinely inspired of God. This really touches me when I think about it. This is John, the beloved disciple. Remember, John was the apostle of love, he was called. 
Originally, he was James and John brothers, sons of thunder. I mean, they were just, you know, uh, breathing fire almost. But when the Lord got a hold of John's heart, he melted and he became the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself, not I, John, but the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was known as the apostle of love. And by the time you get to his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, in 1st John alone, the word love appears 36 times in just the, those five chapters. And that doesn't count loves, plural, or loved, uh, past tense. The word love is all over that book. John's the beloved disciple. He seemed to be closest to Jesus of all the 12 disciples. They, they say he's the youngest of the 12 disciples. He was probably only about 17 when Jesus called him and called the 12. Remember the 12 were the close-knit group followers of Jesus. And then I think Brother Larry mentioned this morning there were the three, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle they called it, who were even closer yet to Jesus and got to go places and do things with Jesus the others didn't. And then there was John, the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper. The only one of the twelve who stood by the cross when Jesus was crucified. All the others had fled. He was the one that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to. Think about that. On the cross, Jesus dying, only a few more breaths to breathe, only a few more words to say. Woman, behold your son. Son to John. Here's your mother from now on. You take care of my mother. John is the one who outran Peter to the tomb after the word that Jesus was not there. The tomb was empty. And he was the first one to believe that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. He may have been the only one of the twelve that was not martyred. Although they said they tried to martyr him by dipping him in a cauldron of burning oil, hot burning oil, they dipped him in this oil, he came up. It was like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It had no power over him. And they said, we can't kill him. Let's exile him on the island of Patmos. And so there's John. He's an old man now. He's 80 years old. He's by himself on the Isle of Patmos. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he was there. And John, of all disciples, was given the awesome vision of the last days, the tribulation period, the seals, the trumpets, and the bold judgments. The taking down of Babylon, the battle of Armageddon, 
the, the lowering from heaven of the new Jerusalem. John was given the privilege of writing the last book of the Bible. And now this old man is just finishing the scroll. And one more time, Jesus reminds him and therefore us and says, Surely I am coming quickly. And John loved Jesus so much. All he could muster was, even so come, Lord Jesus. I can't imagine after living and walking and talking and eating with Jesus for three years. Seeing Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. Of being with Jesus as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just a little ways away. All those things, standing by the cross with Jesus' mother and a few other brave women. And John just says, Lord, I want you to come. I want to see you again. Sometimes I wonder how badly do we want to see Jesus? How much do we want to see our Savior? How much do we long for his return? Sometimes when I'm driving around, I find myself singing that old hymn. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long till we shout that glad song, Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Some Christians aren't praying that prayer, the last prayer of the Bible, even so come Lord Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that? Because some Christians are not walking in purity. The Bible says, he that has this hope within himself purifies himself, even as he is pure. If we really thought Jesus could come at any moment, our thought would be, I want to be right with him when he comes. It'd be great if he came tonight when we're all spiffied up and sitting in church. I don't know when he's going to come, but he that has this blessed hope, I mean, it's, it's there. It's like the old, old Christian that every morning he got up and went to the window and and parted the curtains and looked up and said, maybe today, Lord, maybe today. If we could live with that kind of expectancy, we would be walking in purity. But some are not. And some are not like you are tonight, faithful to God's house. And the Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day. The day approaching, the day of his return. That's getting closer and closer every day. So we should want to be found in the assembly when the assembly is assembly, right? 
and so much the more as we see the day approaching. The Apostle Paul, when he died, I, he wasn't looking forward to being beheaded, but he was looking forward to seeing Jesus. And he said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but all those who love his appearing. Paul wanted to see Jesus. That's why when he wrote to Titus, he said, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he just longed to see Jesus. And he had seen him on the Damascus Road when he really wasn't ready to see him. And now he was ready to see him and longed to see Jesus come. If we really want Jesus to come, we'll seek to walk in purity and faithfulness. We'll seek to abide in him. And this very same John wrote in 1 John 2.28, And abide in him so that we might have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The story is told it was Robert Gramacki that told this story of three men, a father and two sons, that went fishing in an all-night fishing outing. And as they were preparing to return home the next morning, the first son said, Well, my wife will be waiting for me. She'll be in a chair by the fireplace. The other son said, well, my wife will be watching for me. She'll be standing at the window and watching for me to return. And the father said, well, boys, your mother will be waiting and watching, but she'll also be working in the kitchen. She will greet me with a loving kiss, a hot cup of coffee, and a warm breakfast. Jesus is coming again. May you and I be waiting and watching and working for him, longing for his return, looking for his return, but laboring and occupying until he comes. Matthew 24, 46 says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Um, of course, you guys have heard me say several times, you know all about it. Uh, Jenny went to heaven six months ago, and what really blessed me, among other things, is how she finished. You know? She finished strong. She finished at peace with God and with others. And so... Um, accepting of what God had for her. And uh, I was just amazed and I was blessed by that. I was with her for five or six days in the hospital. She didn't cry. She didn't say, oh, poor me, why me, uh, or any of that. I, I, was, I, I just was in awe of what God was doing in her and through her. And our children watched her go to heaven, and uh, they can attest to what I'm saying tonight. There was no panic. 
there was no unrest. Um, and I've said several times in my praying, Lord, help me to finish strong. Help me to finish well. Help me to be able to say that Paul said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. So I, I'm ready to meet Jesus and I'm not ashamed because I even believe there could be a crown waiting for me up there. Don't want to be presumptuous. But the Christ I love is coming soon. It may be morning, night, or noon. My lamps are lit. I'll watch and pray. It may be today. It may be today. The Lord is returning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth. I thank you for these dear folks, men, women, and children, who are in your house tonight. They could be many different places, and certainly it's not a very nice night out, humanly speaking. The weather is a little bit iffy. The roads could be a little bit iffy. And Lord, I do pray that you would take us all safely home. But Lord, help us to continue to patiently wait, to expectantly watch, and to fervently labor and occupy until Jesus comes. If there's any unfinished business, Lord, I pray that we'll wrap that up. Whether it be something we need to do or stop doing that you don't want us to do. Lord, I pray that we'll do whatever it is that we need to do to be right with you. And I thank you that you have made it possible that we can be right with you by humbling ourselves and coming and confessing our sins. And when we do, sincerely do, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and set us back on the path to positively and productively serve you. I pray that that will be the case in the rest of 2020, what little is left, and certainly as Jesus tarries in 2021. We pray it in Jesus' name.